Welcome uh, to church today. So uh, we have started a conversation uh, and as we lead up to Easter, it's been this goal uh, to disrupt some of our ideas, our actions, and yes, even our environment uh, with this purpose that we would say uh, for this season as we lead up to Easter, uh, what is essential? What are the basics of our faith that we need to come back to because maybe we've gotten distracted over time with things that don't actually matter compared to the things that do. So this is the whole aim of this conversation over the next weeks. And uh, I want to encourage you, uh, things are different obviously in the room. There's no scripture on the screens. Uh, We are asking you to bring your Bible, read your Bible, open your Bible. If you're like, I have it on my phone, I'm just asking you for now. Technology is a blessing, but for this, put your phone to the side. That's just a distraction of notifications and open up a physical Bible. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we have Bibles for you. All you have to do is raise your hand and someone will run you you a Bible and it is yours to keep if you don't own a Bible. Um, And we're going to open up John chapter 21. So if you have your Bible, if you don't, raise your hand. John chapter 21. And as you do that, uh, let me just set up the scene of what's happening in this section of Scripture. So Jesus is arrested one night. Peter is there and Peter uh, in that moment rips out his sword and he's ready to defend Jesus. Jesus says, stop, this must happen. Jesus is then taken away to, if you will, a court where he will be tried and he will then be at some point executed. But it's in that time where something happens. Uh, the Roman officials are trying to figure out what's going on. The, uh, the, the crowd is forming outside of uh, the courtroom, if you will. And Peter's there. And someone recognizes Peter and says, hey, aren't you one of the followers of Jesus? And here Peter says, no, I do not know that man. Little time passes, the interrogation's continuing. Rome is trying to figure out what are we supposed to do with this person because it seems like the entire nation of, of Israel wants this man tried to be executed, whatever it is. So they finally take him out to the crowd and they say, what do you want with this man? And the, the crowd starts yelling, crucify him. And again, this person says, no, I recognize you. You're, you're one of Jesus' followers, and again, Peter denies knowing Jesus. This continues to the point where Rome finally will give up a man that is guilty to be free again because the crowd wants Jesus to be executed. And again, another person recognizes Peter and says, I recognize you. Aren't you one of Jesus' followers? And again, for the third time, Peter denies knowing Jesus. What will happen then is Peter will uh, walk away in shame 
over the next day as Jesus is executed and Peter goes back to fishing what he originally did before. Once he does that, uh, it, it's on this Sunday morning where he's in a boat with some other disciples and they're fishing and all of a sudden, no fish are being caught but they see this silhouette of a person on the shore and this person yells a question out, have you caught any fish? And they yell from the boat, they say, no, I haven't caught anything. This silhouette of a person again yells out, hey, just cast your net on the other side of the boat. This starts to sound familiar. So they do that, they throw the net on the other side and in shock, this net, just the weight of it as all of the disciples trying to pull this thing into their boat and all the fish that are caught clicks in Peter's mind. I know this, I've seen this before. Peter jumps out of the boat, he swims to shore, he embraces Jesus, the rest of the disciples, they, swim, they row the boat to shore, they all get on the shoreline, they're sitting with Jesus, they eat breakfast with Jesus, the resurrected king conquered death and sin once and for all. And then we pick up John chapter 21, verse 15. If you have one of the Bibles we gave you, it's 873 if you didn't find it yet. John chapter 21, verse 15. It says this, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, I, um, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time, Jesus asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus would ask this question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything you know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Here's the thing, when you and I read this, we just see this moment with, with Jesus and with Peter and, and what we hear is just, hey, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Love, 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 love. We hear love the whole time. The, the difference is that if you were to be with Jesus and Peter, some of the words being used would be different than our words. Something different was happening that maybe we just kind of look over. See, if you were to go back to them in, in their text, in their language, uh, love is so much more than how we use it. Like, I love my wife and I love tacos. And hopefully you know that those two things are not at the same level of love, right? We just say love for everything and anything. Love has become so ambiguous even in our society and culture at large where love almost is as if we, you, you love someone by never actually having any core values or beliefs in yourself. It's just like anything and everything you're okay with at all times and it's like, is that love? And when Jesus and Peter have this conversation, something different is happening. See, throughout the text in the Old Testament, it's Hebrew and the, uh, one of the words for love in the Hebrew is hesed. God's said love. If you were to look at that, it is a, a combination of words that you and I would understand of, of compassion, of provision, of freedom. said love is like this high value moral, just man, that love is, is unlike any other love. And throughout the Old Testament, 
this word is used and God's description of his creation. Where, where we, we've kind of like missed it. The Old Testament for many of us we think is um, God is an angry God and a judgmental God and he hates everything and he's destroying everything. But if you read the Old Testament, what you see is a God that has his said love throughout it all. A covenantal love that he never gives up on. And what we then discover throughout the text and throughout, uh, throughout these stories with Jesus or with, with, uh, with, with different people, even in the Old Testament, Ruth. Ruth is a, a book of the Bible all about God's said love of a, a lady named Naomi who would lose her husband and her two children. And the only person left in her life was her daughter-in-law, Ruth. Ruth is a little younger, so she says to, uh, Naomi says to Ruth, hey, you can go back to your homeland and maybe you'll get married again and you'll have some hope and a future because with me, there's no hope and no future, especially in that context at that time. A woman of her age at that time, how was she gonna even support herself? Ruth says, no, you're, you're my family now. Your God is my God. A, com- a commitment from Ruth. But not only that, then you see throughout the progression of Ruth and Naomi, of them struggling and toiling, trying to survive to a moment where Ruth meets her soon-to-be future husband. They get married, they have a child, and everyone says, Naomi, that is your child. That is the generation after you that will come that will then lead to the King David and ultimately to the Messiah. And God's has said provision and commitment love is throughout, throughout the story of David. What an amazing king after God's own heart, but one that is messed up, that he continues to mess it up and God continues to show his said love to David. Here's the thing. God says to each of us that he has his said love for us. Commitment, provision in all this that that he he calls you holy and dearly loved like think about that for a second you are holy and dearly loved by God that that sometimes you 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 look at the the thoughts that sometimes enter your head and, and and God doesn't look at those that sometimes enter your head you you look at some of the physical actions that your physical body has made and God doesn't just look at those physical actions but when he looks at you he sees Jesus that has paid your price and you are holy and dearly loved this is what God says about us like look across the room at someone you've never met before and just for a moment Holy and dearly loved. That, ha- that is how God views us. In the New Testament, then they begin to use Greek because decades and decades have passed and all these different nations are intertwining and Greek becomes the language that they speak in the New Testament. And in the Greek, there are multiple words for love as well. There is, uh, there is eros, which would be like a, the, the physical kind of love that we're talking about. Uh, I'll skip that one right now. It goes to filio, which would be like uh, this, 
emotional response with less reason, if you will, this feeling that you have for someone. Philadelphia, which we've heard of that place before, but it's based in the Greek of brotherly love. It's two bros going to the golf course. Hey, Philadelphia, bro. Like it's that. It's philia is like uh, a friendship as well. And then you get to maybe what would be considered like the most popular word that maybe you have heard too, agape. Agape is considered the most pure and, and, and like highest form of love. It, it is the, the type of love that you show even when you've been cheated, even when you've been mistreated and you still have love for that person. That's agape. And here's the thing, when Jesus and Peter talk, now we know a little more of the language they used. I want you to hear this again. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? More than these. Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I phileo you. Then feed my lambs. Jesus told him, Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? And Jesus, Peter said, you know I phileo you, then take care of my sheep. A third time, Jesus asked, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? And Peter responds, you know everything, you know I phileo you. Here's the thing, for some of us, we, we, I, I wanna make sure you understand this. Love in this context and the different words, Jesus is still bringing Peter to a place where he has to recognize the type of love you have and the wholeness of that love He's preparing Peter for what will soon happen. Remember, Peter is called the rock on which the church will be built. That he is gonna have to be prepared and ready to go into a season where he will be persecuted and his life will be threatened for the others to hear the gospel, the good news, and their lives to be transformed. He's preparing him for something. The question is, do you love me? And if Peter's response is, yes, I love you, then the answer is this then feed my sheep, keep my commandments. Like what, what I mean, know my heart, know who God is, what he calls good and pursue those things. But there is something that we shouldn't miss here. I, I think it's so interesting. Jesus says the highest form, right, agape. And Peter every time responds with a different form for love. And part of me just stops and thinks about this for a moment. Peter feels so unworthy at this time. Remember, Peter just a few days ago denied Jesus three times. The man that he said he would give up his career for and follow, now when times got tough, he denied him. And there was a point, the last time that Peter denied him, Jesus was like, there's a humongous crowd. Just imagine like a riot almost. And Jesus is up on this like stage, if you will, with the Roman officials. And Peter, the last time, it's just a conversation over in the corner. Someone says, I recognize you. And Peter says, no, I don't know that guy. And in the crowd, Jesus didn't hear any of that, a riot, like it's a crowd. Jesus looks over sees eye to eye with Peter in that moment that third time and Peter realizes what he has just done. Denied Jesus three times. Peter feels unworthy. How could I say I love you, God, when I denied you two days ago? How could I say that I love you with that type of love? And for some of us, we're in this same boat. 
You feel so unworthy. How could I love God with my past? How could, I, how could I serve God with what I'm going through, with the struggles that I have, with the knowledge that I feel like I still don't know enough? How could I pray to God, a sovereign God, a, a God of all things with my menial, worthless problems? How could I? And we almost put ourselves at a place where we feel unworthy and then we separate ourselves from this relationship. Peter's in the same boat, struggling of his own unworthiness. And Jesus is preparing him. He's taking him through this course of questions for a reason, to really to redeem him from this place where he has found himself, to help him, if you will, therapy session, to, to get to the place where he needs to be. And Jesus, the first time he asks it, he says, do you love me more than these? What is he referring to? There's still conversation about that. That's not fully clear, but there are a few options. One, remember, Peter swims ashore. They eat breakfast. The disciples are there as well. And, and Jesus asks us, do you love me more than these, more than these other guys? That could be one. And that, that alone is interesting because you just got to imagine for a moment, everyone knows what Peter just did. So this is a moment in front of everyone else that Peter has to deal with his shortcomings, Everyone else knows. They're probably hearing this question like, ask me, I didn't deny you. And G Peter's there dealing with this reality. I just denied Jesus three times and his question to me is, do you love me? And in front of everyone else, he has to face this. And sometimes we need to see that that is actually a process of even our faith and our maturity in following Jesus. Is sometimes you have to face your shortcomings, face your problems, your issues, your mistakes that that is actually the process of us growing. That it's also like sometimes we think love is, is free from all impurities or imperfections, but the reality is you and I are imperfect, and as we love God, sometimes it deals with we've messed up, but we continue to pursue him over everything else. You can still love God and have mess-ups in your life, but it's what do you put on the throne of your life and follow with everything you have? That could be one. Another could be this, that, that Jesus was referring to the fish. Now that might sound weird. There were 153 fish. Why is he talking about the fish? But remember, Peter, when he met Jesus, his profession was a fisherman. That's what he did for a living. And once he denied Jesus those three times, the next thing he did, he went back to fishing. He just went back to his old Maybe Jesus is sitting there going, hey, do you love me more than this, your past career? Are you willing to actually give it up and pursue me? And for some of us, that's the same question that we face is, do you love God more than you love your job? Do you love God more than you love your home? Do you love God more than you love your career, your past, whatever it might be? Do you love God more than your own life? That's the question. Do you love God? Here's my question. If you love God, what does that look like? Like if we stop and we like are honest with ourselves, how do I know I actually love God? How do I know I'm not becoming one of the Pharisees, the religious leaders that have become so passionate about even the words to be able to argue my point, but not actually the relationship with God? How do I know? For some of us, we could go back to elementary, like Sunday school and just be like, Jesus, Bible, and prayer. Like, yeah. And it's like, yeah, that is a part of it because if you'd love God, then you would wanna know who God is. And he gave you this for a reason, so that you can know him. 
And if you love God and you begin to know him, then you actually would have a relationship with him. And the only way you have a relationship with him is to communicate with him. And he gave us this, to talk to him. He says without ceasing that we would do this throughout our life, throughout our days, on your way to work, as you're angry at your boss, angry at your spouse, however it is, and you just share this relationship with God through all this. This is how we know. But there's more than just that. Do you turn to God when life gets hard? In the darkest of your times, do you turn to God? For a lot of us, maybe. Here's a bigger question. Do you turn to God in the greatest of times? When every step you take and every move you make is perfect. When it just seems like everything's fallen into place and it seems like you are in control and you are succeeding, do you still turn to God? This is the question that's asked. This is how we love God, that he would be on the throne of our life in everything. Do you love God? You know, Jesus asked this, these questions to Peter, and I, I think part of it is just this process of Peter redeeming himself, if you will, is he just denied Jesus three times, and then he has the opportunity to actually commit to Jesus three times that Jesus has given him this, this process for him to work through, that Jesus is actually dealing with the, the root of the problem in Peter's life. And I think even for us, we see this is what God wants to do in our lives. He, he doesn't wanna be superficial with you. He doesn't wanna just say, hey, you're perfect and you're good and we're done. He, he wants to deal with the root of the problems in our lives so that we would see ultimate healing in that. So he asks these questions that Peter has to come to grips with in front of the man he denied, in front of the guys that he has in many ways almost helped lead and be a part of, that he's done amazing things in the name of Jesus, but then he has denied him three times. He has to work through all this. This is a part of the process. And Jesus says, do you love me? We recognize first God so loved us. Then the question is, do you love God? But then there's this other call. Jesus says, feed my sheep. What does that mean? What does it mean? Like, that's a call for each of us. What does that mean? If, if I love God, then I f- feed my sheep. What does that mean? And that becomes very clear, maybe if you've done your time in the church, but Jesus makes it even more clear in what is known as his, the greatest commandment in Matthew chapter 22. If you have your Bible and you can get there quick enough, uh, we'll go there together. It's the first book in the New Testament. So it's a little earlier. Matthew chapter 22 and verses 37 are where we will start. Matthew chapter 22. This always happens to me. It's the one page that's stuck to another page. Then I have to do the old man move, that thing, which I still don't know if that really works, but we'll find out right now. It did. It worked for me at least. All right, Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Here's what's happening. The Pharisees, they they heard what has been happened, that he silenced the Sadducees with his response. Now, understand what's going on. You have the Pharisees. These are like religious leaders in the day. Like they are the hot shots in the church. But you have the Sadducees, and they're like a variation of it, but they're like against each other. It's like turf wars over these two. The Pharisees watched as Jesus responded to some Sadducees and like put them in their place, right? The Pharisees saw this. They're like, yeah. 
yeah, take him down. But then they saw an opportunity also. Okay, now we catch Jesus out with a question, make Jesus also look like a fool, and then who's left to be the best? The Pharisees. So this is their whole aim, their whole goal. The the Pharisees see what had happened. And it says this, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Here it is. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Remember, for them, they had rules and laws for everything that they did. How long your hair was, what clothes you wore, how many steps you took on certain days, what food you ate, what food you couldn't, who you could associate with, who you, could, you had to stay away from and flee from, all that kind of stuff. They had rules for rules, hundreds of rules that they had to obey. This is their life. This is everything their whole society followed. So they asked this question to trap them. What's the most important? Out of all those hundreds of rules, what's the most important? This is what Jesus says. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. For some of us, that sounds pretty easy. For some of us, that sounds normal, right? If it were to be like, what does it mean to be a Christian? We'd be like, love God, right? Like, just love him. Just like... Have him in your life. Talk to him, read about him, like love God. That sounds great. Can I tell you, I've heard this so many times. And this week, I feel like for the first time, it's kind of this like realization within me even to go, Jesus didn't stop at love God. He said, hey, the second, just as important. Really, they go together. And every time I read it, I go, love God. And yeah, it's nice to be nice to others. Love God. What Jesus does is those have to go together. You love God, you love others. So when Jesus does this also with Peter, he says, do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep, care about others. Share the gospel. The church will be built upon you. You're gonna be a part of this from the beginning. This has to matter. For some of us, we've treated our relationship with God so highly, but our care for others so small. And that goes fully against this thing that Jesus calls us to, the greatest commandment that you could ever have. Everything else boiled down goes to this, love God, love others. That is essential. And the question then becomes like, how do we love others? What does that really look like? Because again, our society now, like it almost is like just don't step on any toes, don't ever actually stand for anything and feel like this is my beliefs and they might counter yours and we might disagree. It almost feels sometimes like to love is to not actually value anything. But we know that that can't be logical, right? So if that's not the case, then what is it? And can I tell you, I believe there are like different levels, if you will. The way, the way that I love my brothers and sisters, Christians, is different because if I walk with you and we do life together if you call this place home then then here's the thing the way that you and I interact has to be different it has to be like it it has to be that that I want you to know I got your back like you're my ride or die like 
that's going. Like we're, we're following Jesus and we're doing it together in this local body. That has to be. You got, I got your back no matter what. But I also want you to know I'm gonna call you out. So if you talk to your spouse like a jerk, like don't, like don't do, that's not a godly picture. That's a selfish picture. If you continue to want to act certain ways in your own pridefulness, like you need to humble yourself and I would love to help humble you, right? Like I, I, want, to, I want you to know that's a loving relationship between brothers and sisters in Christ following Jesus together. You, I, I want you to, you are holy and you are dearly loved, but you also need to step it up, put on your bootstraps and let's get to work, right? That is it. Now, if you are here and you're not sure about Jesus and you're, you don't call this place home, I want you to know, man, you're holy and you're dearly loved and you belong and God loves you and I love you because God loves you. Like, I want you to know that. And I want you to know that I do believe that God has plans for you and that he will, man, give you meaning and purpose in your life if you actually put Jesus on the throne of your life. But at the end of the day, Peter said it very clearly. I'm not gonna try to tell the unbeliever, the outsider that doesn't hold the values I hold, I'm not holding them to account. I'm holding the Christians to account. So the way I love my Christian brothers and sisters is gonna look a little different than the way I love the people outside the church. And that's okay. And I pray and I hope that those people will come to know Jesus and they will keep me accountable and I will keep them accountable but I don't, I don't need to tell them how they need to live their life when they don't have Jesus at the center of their life. That is essential first. So how do we love others? I mean, Jesus was the perfect example of that. And Jesus, man, he, he balanced that well. If we look at stories, he, he has this moment with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a tax collector. These are the scum of the earth, if you will, um, for us too. Um, they... This would be a man that would actually disown his own people so that he could make his own profit. Zacchaeus uh, has Jesus over to his home where Jesus is there with a bunch of other tax collectors and other reputable sinners is what we're told. The only others are some disciples. Jesus is hanging out with them. He's eating with them. He's socializing with them. That's a picture of love right there. Because those people didn't ever hang out with anyone outside of their little group because everyone hated them. But Jesus enters that scene. But here's the thing also, Zacchaeus is like, man, there's something different about you. Like, I want you to be my, like, my leader. Like, I want to follow you. He doesn't even know the right words to say. He's stumbling, and Jesus gives him some example of what that should look like. Give up everything else and follow me and all that. And Zacchaeus' response is this. He says, I'm gonna pay back everyone that I cheated and I'm gonna pay them back threefold. Like I, I, I'm gonna over abundantly pay back my sins that I have committed. It's repentance. He's turning away from his own fleshly desires and Jesus says, surely salvation has come home here today. Like Jesus loved him but he also called him to something greater. This happens again with an adulterous woman and back in that day, uh, it was supposed to be for both but often it only happened to the women um, and, and what they would do is that would be a right to stone that person to death for the sins that they committed. And some people did that. They dragged this woman out there and all these religious leaders are there too and they pick up rocks and they're about to stone her to death when Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, hey, whoever has no sin casts the first stone. He's the only one that could say that and actually do that and he knows that and everyone else has to drop their rock and walk away. 
Here's the thing though, Jesus doesn't just say, hey, you're loved, see you later. He says, hey, go and sin no more. He calls her to more. He calls her to a different life, a better life. There's this balance. We hear it all the time, truth and grace. These two things that exist and they coexist at the same time. And for too many of us, for some of us in the church or outside of the church, you love truth, but you forgot grace. And for some of you, you love grace and you love love, like, but you forgot truth. And truth is what transforms us as well. Those two exist and they exist together. This is how we do it. Here's the thing. If you love God, you are required to love others. They are created in the image of God, fearfully and wonderfully made. Every single human you come in contact with, dearly loved. Every single person you see, the person that frustrates you, the person that has hurt you, dearly loved. For God so loved the world, that he would bring about a way that you and I could be reconciled, called sons and daughters. And that's not just for us. That's for every single person. Here's the thing, if you love God, you're required to love others. But I wanna encourage you, the only way that any of that exists is first, if we first recognize who first loved us. You cannot love from an empty place. The only way that you show love and compassion to speak truth and grace together is because first who has done it for us. We're told, we're told in scripture like, this is it. It's not because you first loved, it's because God first loved you and he did this, that he would send his son as a sacrifice. God in the flesh for you and for me, that he would take upon the sins of this world, our past, our present, and our future, he would pay the price that we could never pay. Why? Because he dearly loves us. And because of that work, now we are actually take on the identity of Christ. That is why you are considered holy, because of the work of Jesus, not because of us, and how loving that is, that he calls us co-heirs with Christ, that he calls us sons and daughters. We love because he first loved. That is it. For God so loved. For God so loved. For God so loved Kimberly. For God so loved Chris. For God so loved Zoe. For God so loved Eric. He loves each of us. For God so loved that he would bring about the only hope that we have. And that then somehow through all that, we finally have a response that we can make. And our response is not our action. Our love is not an action that we first take. Our love is actually a surrender of our own way, of our own control, of our own doing, and actually surrendering and putting Jesus at the throne of our lives, not ourselves. And then he says, now I want you to be an example of love to others. That maybe through an action, through a word, that someone else would come to know that love. 
that maybe you'd invite someone into your life, invite someone into your home, invite someone into your church. And through that process, they would know that they are loved by the creator of the universe. Love God, love others, because he first loved. Heavenly Father, God, God, I just pause in awe. God, before I ever took a step, ever spoke a word, you already chose to love me. God, sometimes I don't get it. But I choose to accept it. And God, I just pray today, would we be a people that stop and just recognize with everything in our life, with the regret, sometimes the baggage we carry, we no longer carry that God. We carry your identity. God, in my feeble words and my feeble actions that somehow you'd be glorified. And God, somehow through my simple statements that other people would start to see your love. And that, God, that is the thing that will pursue them. That is the thing that will transform their lives. That is the thing that will mature them and grow them and disciple them. And it just starts maybe with me saying, I love God. And that means I love what he has created and each of us in the image of him. God, would we be a church? Would we be a church that is known for just pursuing you above all other things? And that in that, we're a church that's united, just supporting each other, encouraging each other, spurring each other on. God, that people would come into a relationship with you. They would recognize that love for the very first time. God, it is all your glory. It is all your praise. It's in the name of Jesus we say, amen. Hey guys, I really hope this message was uh, encouraging to you today. That's right. My wife and I are so honored that you joined us in this way. And we'd love to encourage you. Uh, it, one, if you'd like to connect with us more, uh, if you live locally, and uh, we'd love to have you visit us in person. If you'd like to join us in the mission here and uh, partner with us, uh, we'd love for you to receive all of that and even other messages. And you can find all that at this resource right here. Thank you so much for joining us.